the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and it's there's probably no one more important to listen to right now than my guest, my man representing Arizona's 6th Congressional District, David Schweikert. David, welcome back. Thanks for joining trust, us. Trust me, there's more important people to listen to. Not right now, baby, not right <laughs> now. You are on the front lines of... It me- has been a fascinating week. Um, remember conversations you and I had three weeks ago, t- a month and a half ago, that when you're in the minority and the left controls everything, our job is to make their life as miserable as possible when they're doing really bad things to our country. And it looks like we've actually done a pretty good job of exposing the crazy. But then today, I'm I'm now working on another theory that should scare the crap out of you and I. What happens? If the Democrats, the hard left out there, start to realize they're going to lose in this next election. Right. They're going to lose the House. Right. The Senate's a tough map, but even there's still even a chance they're going to lose the U.S. Senate. Right. How crazy will this White House, will this Congress go and saying, we're going to lose, let's just push through anything insane we can. Oh, yeah. So we, yeah, yeah, they're going from a, of, yeah, they'll go from a Corvette to a Lamborghini. I see your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah. so saying, look, it's, it's the rat, it's, it's backed in the corner that thinks it's about to die. Might as well just go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you have a situation right now where, you know, we're seeing stories saying, um, and put this in context. Do you remember during the Biden administration, one of the ways they screwed over Im, you know, immigration issues yeah. is the um, uh, Obama administration say, well, we took it to court and we did a court settlement. Right. And that's why we have, you know, the 48 hour rules that, you know, we take in a family, we've got to let them go and all these things. It's a court settlement. What happens if this administration comes to you and says, well, the families that were arrested by the Trump administration we're going to enter a court settlement on that, and we're going to give each individual four hundred fifty thousand dollars for um for because we hurt their feelings because and they came here we, illegally we, because yeah, they came but, here but illegally. No, but it's a brilliant backdoor way of saying we're going to give them so much damn money that they're going to be able to finance their way to eventually be you know U.S. a green card, U.S. citizenship, um, and when we do this. Think of the massive, massive waves of people that are going to come in from all over the world when the story goes. They're handing out huge, not, not stipends. A million dollars a family. Let's call it what it is. And, 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 and it's almost like they really are saying, look, screw it. Um, screw the American people. Screw you know, the, the working poor because illegal immigration wipes out the working poor in the country, um, I think they're going for broke and saying, yeah, we'll lose a couple election cycles, but we'll so change the demographics of the United States 
that they win. For people who don't know this story, you can follow David Schweikert uh, on his Twitter account where he highlights it well, at Rep David, or go to the Wall Street Journal, U.S. in talks to pay hundreds of millions to families separated at border is the headline. David, I want to come back to that. Let me just clear my throat with other news of the day, and, and we'll circle back. For those that are breathing a sigh of relief, saying, oh, good, we're going from $3.5 trillion to $1.8 trillion. What a relief. Uh, tell them why uh, maybe jumping for joy yeah. is uh, not Stop the it. best reaction. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. This is about locking in policy. Um, the dollar amounts are also a complete fraud. Because, oh, we're only going to run the program for two years instead of seven years, so it's only two years, so now it costs, you know, $200 billion instead of $900 billion. It's a fraud. Um, This game is about locking as much policy as they can. And as soon as they do it, they will be back two weeks later trying to do more and more. Um, And it's not the dollar amount. It's the public funding of abortion uh, uh, abortion on demand. It's forced unionization. It's your state can't offer certain benefits unless it has unionized contracts. It's functionally a piece of legislation that wants to spend lots and lots and lots of money on transfer payments that we've been showing actually make the poor poorer because it destroys any incentive to work in a society. Um, but it's all the other policy that comes with it. Yep. So the press focuses on the money yep. and then is trying to tell a story saying, oh, look how they've dialed it back. What they're not telling you is how much of the really ugly social policy is woven in there, and it's really hard to find. I mean, I was spending so- some time earlier with the audience talking about this thing, the Civilian Conservation Corps, and what a boondoggle that looks like. Uh, one of many things, but anyway, yes, to your point, it's it's yeah, not the yeah, amount, yeah. it's it's not the number, it's the content. Yeah, yeah, the civilian do- indoctrination court, right? Um, but there's and and what terrifies me is if you look at the phone calls we get to the office. Um, okay, lots of calls on immigration, but um, this reconciliation package with the stunning amounts of spending and stunning amounts of taxes and those things, it's probably fourth or fifth down on phone calls to the office. It's because it's complicated. The press, if you and I, you know, uh, over the last month, if you were to go on to um, conservative media, it often wasn't near the top stories. That's right. Because the reporter has to have an IQ to write about it. Right. And it really... And yet this is the thing that transforms our society and has to be stopped. Nancy Pelosi should have given you further chills down your spine today when she spoke about how this will be done in the spirit and is the biggest thing we've done since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, Praise Franklin Delano Roosevelt as you will, but we're still struggling. We're still paying off. We're still dealing with the fallout from all those programs from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I also think um, Democrats constantly misquote uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. A lot of the programs turned out to be absolute disasters. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand basic economics. Mm -hmm. They actually made the Depression last much longer. Mm -hmm. But even Franklin Delano Roosevelt didn't try ripping apart society, saying you do not have to work. Joint Economic Committee yesterday 
we had a what was supposed to be an intellectually sound hearing on why so many people are dropping out of the labor force. And the Democrats, because they control the committee, brought in Ph.D. experts that saying, well, should people have the option not to have to work? <laughs> and you've you got to understand, <laughs> a society that finances people not to participate in the society, in the economy, you have just sentenced those individuals, those families, their next generation to misery. And that's where the Democrats are, are heading. They are trying to set up entitlement transfers. This is monthly checks for millions, hundreds of millions of potentially Americans with the assumption that a big chunk of those just are going to drop out of work, but they'll be absolutely beholden to the Democrat Party. David, the, the, the conversation around this re- reconciliation bill, the 3.5 that's now being told, we're now being told is 1.8 trillion, um, it's pitched and written about as if this is something we need to do. This is something that just has to happen. We have to have some kind of reconciliation budget uh, agreement or some kind of spending here. This isn't true. This isn't true. We do not need any of this, do we? No. Okay. But, but let's say – let's back up and let's do this a little more – uh, let's strip partisanship away okay. for, for a moment, okay. and let's just pretend all we care about is the actual numbers. If you care about the working poor and the and the and the quartile below the working poor, so the truly poor, this isn't the way you do it. We have there's a big University of Chicago bunch of their PhDs did a study saying if you do this type of transfer payment where you send a check and you don't tie it to work, it turns out that at the end of the decade, they're every bit as poor, mm-hmm. and they're locked into poverty. Mm-hmm. Unless you do things that encourage participation in work and go to school and better yourself, and the Democrats are hell-bent on ending any relationship to work as a path to participate in the American dream. And, and I don't understand this darkness on this part because all the lit academic literature and all the fancy people and anyone with basic common sense knows when you detach a big portion of your society from having to work, the drugs, the misery, the, 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 the hopelessness is all you're buying. The ongoing cycles of generational despair. Um, that, that's absolutely right. I, I did a I did a monologue. I'll send it to you if you want it on on the importance of work and and what it means to a society and a culture, and how dangerous it is for a society to take that away, to rip that away. It's the most natural thing. I mean, I, I don't know if Olivia had this opportunity or not, but one of the most one of the most popular games kids play is store. You know, who gets to run the cash register, who gets to do the selling, who gets to do the buying. It's a natural inclination to be industrious, and we're ripping it away. Well, it's also what adds a sense of value. Sometimes it's not the job. It's the fact that you do it and you you work hard, and and it gives us a sense of value. Um, About two years ago, during the incredible sort of Trump economic growth and, you know, post-tax reform, um, I was down at the homeless campus and, you know, doing what I could to try to help. Um, and there's something there called St. Joseph's the Worker, a very long traditional Catholic charity. 
and their mission in life is to find employment for the most downtrodden. And they were excited because there was such a labor shortage in our community and businesses were so desperate for workers, they were reaching out to the homeless campus and saying, can you send us someone to work in our warehouse to do this and that? The concept of a vibrant economic growth is moral because all of a sudden, in many ways, the least among us had value and had opportunity. And we actually did this crazy thing of setting up with Lyft to even provide transportation to get them to the work. That should be the joy. That should be the vision. That should be the goal. And the Democrats are hell-bent on ending the relationship to work and therefore basically locking in the poor in society and making them absolutely beholden to the Democrat Party. Well, David, uh, as I said, uh, you are really the most important voice right now, given everything coming at us. Uh, and uh, you, 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 you feel free. <laughs> you feel free to uh, to to uh, diminish the importance, but please don't stay very long in that state of mind. We need you. You have it right. It, it, it's. I'm. I'm not a drinking man, but if there was ever a time, now maybe should be my moment. All right, I'll take you out <laughs> right. for a Heineken Zero Zero one of these uh, days. You know, I've never been intoxicated, but if they have a non-alcoholic one, I'm willing to try it. Yeah, Heineken Zero Zero. It's pretty good stuff. Plus, you know, we love the Dutch, as we All love right. you, David. Bless you, sir. Thank you. Godspeed. Bye now. Well, thank you. He called back. He is diligent. He is smart. He is um, one of my, uh, well, I can't say one of because you're all my favorites. But Larry, he is Larry and Tempe is who he is. Larry and Tempe. How are you, sir? Thanks for calling back. I'm all right. Good. I'm all right. And I, before we go back to the topic I called about, David Schweiker hit the nail on the head when he's talking about work. It is astounding to me how many people in my lifetime as a blind person have asked me, well, couldn't you get disability and not work? And my answer is, oh, yeah, but why would I not want to work? So there is a almost maybe a little strongly stated but almost a moral context to it. Mm-hmm. You bet that there is. You see, working as right. It's a virtue, or it used and to be. Good. It used to be. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Not working a vice. Yeah. Not working as a yeah. vice. Thank you for that. You called in earlier when I was telling the audience about an AT and T race education program. Among other things, it says only white people can be racists. Only white people are responsible for racism. It said some other things, too, along those lines. Uh, that really got your goat, didn't it, Larry? Well, it did from the standpoint, uh, not that I as a blind person would have people be racist to me unless it was based on my skin color, in which case it had nothing to do with the blindness. But there's a, there is a comparison to me from the standpoint of, especially in a work setting, employment setting of how you view people and for a company like AT&T to take on that view that people 
are based on their skin color one thing or another affects me affects me because there is a natural thing a lot of times for people towards someone who has a disability to perhaps think not with any intention to offend but just think that perhaps this person can't work and so many times when I've said things to people about my job or whatever they say oh you work and they are very interested a little surprised so the the way it struck me is that far too many times we think there is going to be and we don't think this way most of us as Americans it's really those on the left and who are especially obsessed with the CRT stuff that it has to be related to skin color Mm -hmm. or if they were viewing me it has to be related to his disability and therefore I must only have my job that I've had for 16 plus years because I'm blind I learned in the job I had before this one my first full-time job that I got as a blind person I was first day in orientation and training and the room when there was about 10 or 12 of us there and it was for Sears uh, it's long since gone now I guess but uh, it was a facility that managed their credit card portfolio so they had a bank it was and they had a bank president he was there with the vice president of human resources and it was my turn and you know everybody's going around the circle saying their name and a little bit about themselves and I said at some point in my comments, maybe early in the comments, I am so thankful for this opportunity, which I was. And the the, the bank president almost cut me off. Hold that said, thought. Hold that right Larry, there. Yeah, I, hold that, Larry. Right. I'm going to keep you. Hold okay. that thought. Hold that right there. I want to pick up on that. Sure. Uh, I'm going to have you repeat that part when we come right sure. back. And we'll be right back. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. We're talking to Larry in Tempe. Larry, you were working. You said, I think you said you were working for a bank. Is that right? Yes. All right. Yes. Go take it from there. You were working for a bank. Sure. New, newly hired. So a new, new hire first day and talking to everybody around the table, the new hires. And I said one of the main things I said was how thankful I was for the opportunity. And the bank president said, Larry, you're not here because you're blind. You're here because you're qualified. And that was life-changing in many ways. Not that I thought I was getting a job because I was blind, but there was that little hesitation in my mind of, can I, can I really do this? You know, am I really going to be able to function in the workaday world? And just him saying that, someone who didn't know me, I had never met him before, saying that, gave me that notion and that mindset that I can do this. And what it tells me, what it says to me in regards to the corporations like AT&T, all the others that are doing the versions of critical race theory, is 
when you tell people they can't do something, many of them are going, going to believe you. If someone, because of their skin color, can't get a job and they can only get one if it's given to them because of their skin color, many of those people are going to believe it. But if you tell them, as a company policy, our intention is to hire the best person for the job. We don't care what their skin color is or their gender. We don't care. We want the best person for the job. And then, of course, follow through with that. I mean, it would shoot down all of these notions of, well, everybody who's white must be racist because all those people working at that company and where I work now is very diverse. All those people say, well, wait a second. I've gotten a job and I'm excelling here. I didn't get it because of my skin color. I got it because I was qualified. Plain and simple truth. I got it because I was qualified. Do you worry, Larry, that we're teaching an entire generation not to care about the point you just made, that it's the qualification that matters? I've been quoting lately um, John Dewey, who we're not supposed to like, but, you know, know, a broken clock can be right twice a day. He said it's not just that a man be good. It's that he should be good for something. And, And I wonder if... We are raising a generation right now that just can't appreciate that point at all. It's more important that we check a box. Let's take an under 40-year-old mayor of a city of 100,000 people and make him the secretary of transportation for 332 million people and then scratch our heads and wonder why it is we can't move goods in this country. Well, he checked a box. He checked a box. Yeah. And the unfortunate reality is that when you, your main focus is to check a box, you're going to get some misses on that. Mm -hmm. It's not that any company that hires somebody and they believe they're getting the right person, it's not that they never miss. But you're much more likely to have a success with hiring a person when you're looking at their qualifications. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at who they are, not what they look like. And it just, I, I, I absolutely think that many people in our younger generations have seen and heard and been told enough that there is something else at work that you can't just earn it by your hard work, mm-hmm. that it's given to some and it's not given to others. And of course, there's always, there are always examples of that, but it used to be the anomaly and not the general rule. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be more and more often that that's the general rule because you have to have it look diverse to have an intention of making it look diverse. I'd rather work, I'm middle American, middle class white guy. I would always, every day, every week, every year, rather work with a room full of people not my skin color that are good hard workers and I get along with the room full of white people who don't care of course absolutely yeah. because skin color is about the least relevant thing you can tell me about anybody that's right that's right well that point of view larry as lincoln put it 
about people of a different skin color in his day. All the powers of Earth seem rapidly combined against him. Mammon is after him. Ambition follows. Philosophy follows. And the theology of the day is fast joining the cry. Thanks for not joining the theology of the day, Larry, and standing athwart it through your calls and through who you are being just you. Thank you. We'll be right back. The Wilson sisters, yes. I'm Seth Liebson. We've got Bill, we've got Anthony, we've got Tony, we've got Rusty. We've got the full team here. And we have Dave. And surprise. Hi, Dave. Hi, sir. How are you doing, teacher? You I'm doing Nancy great. Wilson. Good call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we need those barracudas, huh? Oh, I always love the the the, the songs in and songs out. You, Thanks. you have the best. Thanks. Best picks. Tell my producer he um, hates I'm, them. <laughs> oh, he still he does. does a great job, yeah, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he does. He does. He does. Yes. Um, I'm, I, first of all, I'm honored to be going to the event you're hosting next month. It'll be my second opportunity to meet Mr. Prager. Oh, fabulous. I'll be honored again, I'm sure. Fabulous. Yeah. November 16th, we're bringing in Larry Elder and Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk, America for which it stands. You betcha. Thank you. Sir, yes, sir. Yeah, it'll be a great program. Hope everybody signs up the can. You bet. Um, I wanted to touch base a little bit. I believe it was Mr. Doug yesterday out of Maricopa yep. that uh, ended the show. Okay. Um, I, and, and you and I have talked about this for a year and a half. I think it's time for our side to stop doing wishy-washy politics because Republicans are just not good at it. We don't, we don't keep a constant message. We can't be unified the way they are. They're all money-hungry and power-hungry on the left, it seems to me. Um, and, and I think it's time to step up against this Operation Chaos. This, this, they have us in the crisis mentality 24-7. I used to start our conversations with, what a rough week it's been, teacher, because it's just <laughs> right. it's one fire right. and more gallons of gasoline every single day. You bet. An ever-present, an ever-present in which uh, uh, the party is always right, uh, or will put it. Uh, it. It is. Well, yeah. it, and there's three three volumes. That by ever-present, I mean We've by ever-present. for months. His point about yeah. uh, just one thing, when he says an ever-present, he's talking about there's no history, there's no memory, there's no fact, there's no founding. It's just a constant loop of what I call crisis industrial complex, and you have your phrase for but yes, we're talking about the same thing. It was all... Foretold, yeah. you bet. I I think it's it, it was from 1949. We all know it. Yep. So if people need to, to brush up on that, Brave New World, and, of course, Animal Farm. Yep. And the reason that they don't teach those in the classrooms anymore is because they don't want people to know that those are historical documents. They want the liberals to be able to push that as their playbook. Mm-hmm. You know, throw in a little Saul Linsky, um, you know, the rules for radicals, you and, and you've, got the, you've got their playbook down to a science. And unfortunately... I don't think our side I think it's a willingness. We don't we're not willing to get in the mud enough to to be contentious and say you guys aren't right. We we think that oh, we'll just continue to say the right things and I I think it's almost past that point. I don't know how many more elections they potentially need to steal until we're like you know, we've lost of all, all of our liberties. Do you uh do you th- do you get the sense that with a few exceptions here and there, the parents showing up at school board meetings, whether it's Loudoun County, whether it's in Minneapolis, wherever they are, 
that they're a bit ahead of the politicians. The politicians are trying to catch up to those parents. The politicians on our side, on our side, they're trying to I, I do, but the one thing that, that scares me, and you mentioned Loudoun County because I've yeah. stayed abreast of that very closely, sure. there are zero consequences. The whole school board knew about it weeks in advance. The, um, the, the, the head of that organization knew about it, and none of them will resign. None of them will be removed from office because we have zero accountability, so nobody's responsible for anything anymore. It, it's like when, when with the governor of Virginia, he was either in blackface or in a Klan's robe. Right. And he just said, nah, I'm good. Yep. I'll just stay here. It's, a, yep. it's only two years. You yep. guys will be fine. Yep. There's zero consequences. Right. That's the problem. Right. Right. It, it, it's a huge problem, and, and, it's, it, and it's damned frustrating. And we do tend to go through these cycles a little bit. I don't know if this makes you angrier or, or, or if it makes you uh, a little more um, pacific about the situation. But we have had in, in recent political memory, uh, we have had, I guess, three major turnarounds on our side, uh, 94, 2010, and then again in 2016. Now, the problem is that it's not a turnaround if you can't keep it, and we haven't been able to keep it. In fact, it's incredibly upsetting to see that we continually grab defeat from the jaws of victory. I don't know how to get Republican congressmen and Republican senators all on the same page the way you describe the Democrats are. It's odd. In a way, they're not fully exactly ex on the same page on the other side. It's just that it doesn't matter and they don't divide themselves over it, right? It doesn't matter and they don't divide themselves over it and they're playing a long game where they know Bernie Sanders and AOC will win in the end. So they're playing a long game. And I, I don't know. I don't know how we teach this crop of congressmen and senators um, to play by the similar lesson because the stakes are super high. As you say, or as at least I think you're imparting, the stakes couldn't be higher. With, with the, I, I, I completely agree with you on that, completely agree with you. I don't know what mechanisms exist outside of school board meetings and legislative reforms when it comes to elections, primarily at the state level, I should hope. I don't know what mechanisms exist except to point out except to point out that the Senate is literally 50-50 and the House is led by a majority of Democrats that you can count on two hands and that we're looking perhaps for another turnaround in 2022. The task if we get it is to get it and then keep it and then keep it. And my goal has been, Dave, as I know yours has been, to educate as many fellow conservatives and Republicans that don't understand the existential threat to America taking place before our eyes, to get them to understand that it is one and that if they're just marking time or if they're just there because they like the plaudits and accolades or if they're going to serve as Republicans who want to get along and go along with Democrats – that's how you author your own defeat. I, this has been my, my challenge. This has been what I have been trying to do, communicating that to Republicans and primarily, by the way, Republican voters in primaries. It's been too long 
that too many people, including party apparatuses, have said, I won't get involved in the primary or or that they won't do their homework on who they're voting for or supporting in the primary. You've got to do your homework. You have got to do your homework. And if you like staying out of them, how well has that worked for you? Old columnist for The Washington Post, Jim Hoagland, said that um, knowledge is important not for when it is first delivered, but when it is ready to be received. I was mentioning to David Schweikert earlier a monologue I did on the ethic and virtue of work, especially given the business shutdowns that we've all been um, experienced, that we've all experienced uh, since on and off again since March of a year ago. And I got a bunch of emails during the breaks. Can I get a copy of that monologue? Can I get a copy of that monologue? I was just rereading it, and I was rereading the conclusion. Um, How are we going to handle what we're facing, is what I said. How are we going to handle and the storm and pass the test that has been given to us? Have we become so soft that our vim and vigor can be completely sucked out of us from a concerted media scare within the course of about four months that is so invested in bad news and anti-Republican Party sentiment that it can create one big safe space where we must all retreat to cuddle rooms such that when Republicans push to move the end of this storm to get to the end of this storm as quickly as possible so we can all go back to work and normalcy, that we are denounced as cold capitalists who don't care about life. Is that what our culture and society has come to? I don't think so. It's not cold-hearted or hard-hearted to care about our individual souls as much as our physical bodies. It's not cold-hearted or hard-hearted to see our body politic as important as our human bodies. It is indeed the care of both that is important here. You cannot care about one without the other. We care about both because we care about America and we care about Americans. But don't forget, for one moment, do not forget, wanting to care for America and Americans first was what caused so much ire from our political opponents. Please don't forget that. And more importantly, don't forget that caring about your country and countrymen is actually more than a fine thing. It's more than a good thing. It's a great thing. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. And class, until tomorrow, is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.